Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast with my two, I was going to say favourite coaches, but that's very unfair, two of my three favourite coaches, Andy and Ruth. How are you both? Good, yeah, good, thank you. You Andy? All good. All good. Okay, great. Um, any news to report from anybody? Nope. Oh, wow. Wow. We live really? back in life, don't we? I want to get outside. That's the sunshine. Yeah. It's good. I'm happy with sunshine. We were all just saying it's so nice that it's sunny, which yeah. it very much is. I got my Invisalign refitted. So you can't really see my gap anymore. Oh, yeah. I it in. Um, Did you just get like I, a felt pen or some Tipex? Legit. Yeah. Yeah, because they were like, oh, it's such a small gap, we're not going to do it. I was like, excuse me, in what world? was That, that was not, I'm sorry, but that was not a small gap. It was very much noticeable. They're like, you won't even notice it. Well, you do. But then the other thing is, is I've ripped off, you know, they put like bumpy bits on your teeth. Don't know if you've seen anyone with them. I have seen them. Are, yeah. you, are you not meant like to rip blue. them off? Yeah, you're not meant to rip them off, no. But like, I couldn't okay. get them out, so yeah, anyway. So that's a great start. And apart from that, I've been so busy setting up Commit to Six and setting all their targets, which has been very exciting. I think there's still a couple of people sneaking in. Love their attitude. Someone I had a conversation with someone today and she was like, look, I'm not actually home until next week, but can I just sign up? Because I'd rather do five weeks than wait till the next intake. And I was like, you're going to get results. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, you can. Good so, shit. yeah. I'm very excited about that. And yeah, let's get on with the quizzies. Okie dokie. Right. So I'm assuming I'm reading them. I, I mean, if Andy or you want to instead, <laughs> then you can. Yeah. It's like just my unofficial role. Okay. The quiz master. Uh, the quiz master. There you go. Right. Can you talk through the concept of morning and evening routine? Are we to follow the one you provided exactly? Or can you adapt to suit your lifestyle? What do you consider to be essential within each routine thanks oh great question um so I wrote these because I think they're essentially a very good starting point but I would like people to monitor like to adapt them as needed much like anything that we give like the whole point is you mold it into your life a little bit so if for example you're like I have a shoulder injury so I can't do push-ups don't be like oh well I can't do the whole morning routine just swap it out for lunges or, you know, like another lower body exercise or a core exercise. Like, or if for example, you're like, oh, I've got like for a while I did my back rehab in my morning routine. Like, oh, I've got this injury. Do you know what? So I remember I'll just do those three exercises that I was, that'll be my morning routine. Or you might say, I already go to the gym in the morning. So I'm not going to do the exercise part. I still do the exercise part and go to the gym, but you know, do whatever you want. Same with the evening routine what I would suggest is sticking to it the way it is for at least a week. And then you can decide if you want to do it or not. Cause do you know what? Like sometimes I don't do the evening routine, but morning routine for me is like fundamental to my day. And if I don't do it, the day doesn't go very well. So that to me, I always keep in, but there are certain things you're like, yeah, try it for at least a week, see what you think of it. And if you're like, I don't get any benefit from this. Don't do it. I do my journaling in the evening. A lot of people do it in the morning, but I can't get my head around that. I think because I just I'm just very much like get up and go. I'm like, I don't want to get up and reflect. I'm like, the evening is for reflection, not the morning. I can't understand that. But then it really doesn't matter. Like if it works for you to do it in the morning, do it in the morning. Yeah. I would say reflecting on what? Eight hours of sleep. I like to do my to-do list, you know, like that sit down, get my to-do list done. I don't like doing that the night before really. I like to do that in the morning. Yeah. I mean, and I then, do I kind of go through it a bit, but I prefer just setting off my day. Yeah. Uh, and then I wake up and I'm like, bam, this is what's getting done. She's on it. Should see her Google calendar. Oh, you don't want to see it. It's sick. That's it. <laughs> I sent the invite to this call and Ruth was like, Oh, it's very specific timing. And it was like five minutes past five until 5 55 and that's because i had the no no no, no emma 5 54 
<laughs> oh, was it? Oh, <laughs> I, I keep doing back to and like one, it's... you can't do it, and two, I don't even have time to go to the toilet, and I'm like, then sitting on a call, like I. Can I just say, last week I had a really nice conversation with Emma, and she was like, "Oh no, next week's going to be a bit calmer for me, so it's going to be more chill." And I was like, "Oh really? Sure. Believe it when I see it. Yeah." Okay. <laughs> but it's okay. She's going to chill this weekend, so that would be good. Yeah. Well, anyway, chill, I mean, I don't have any social, or like, I don't have a lot of social plans. <laughs> but what I'm going to do is the EIQ mini series lecture, which I will discuss on the podcast as well, because I think. I've been doing a lot of research into, you know, this craze of like um, continuous glucose monitors, tracking your blood sugar and then adapting your diet to it. I'm basically going to debunk all of that for EIQ. And then I'll obviously talk a bit about it here as well. There's been a lot of talk about glucose recently on the gram, hasn't there? So that yeah. would be interesting. Okay, dokie. Do you want the next question or does Andy have any more to add about morning routines? No, no I just... Um, you find something to work with stick with it yeah agreed just something that gets you moving really isn't it as well what i will okay. say is i think they're really they're both underrated and overrated like they don't have to be long to be effective the one i've given you is like 10 minutes max what's really underrated and is so just like an obvious thing as well but planning ahead came up quite a lot in the group today when i was looking through things like you just need to plan ahead even if the plan doesn't work out exactly how you wanted it you're way more likely to, to get the results that you want instead of just kind of wing, winging it and hoping that somehow magically, even though you didn't hit your protein target today, it will just happen tomorrow. Like it won't, you have to make a plan. Or if you're like, I'm really not getting my steps. Like don't just hope that tomorrow will be better. Plan how you're going to get your steps tomorrow. That's the whole point in the journaling aspect as well. That's why the question is like, if today didn't go to plan, what are you going to do tomorrow to make sure that you do hit these targets? So make sure you're doing that and make sure you're setting like actually the intention and a plan to hit those targets. I do. Th we talked about that, didn't we? A little bit in the intro one about how you, you know, you need to plan to get there with that calendar, I guess. Okay. Uh, next question is aware this might be a, be hard to answer as based on my strength, but I'm keen to invest in some more dumbbells as the heaviest I have is seven kilograms. And I can't get to the gym at the moment due to childcare. What kilogram would you recommend I buy for lower body and then upper? I've been doing dumbbell workouts for about six months. So I would say I'm a, basically a beginner. It's, I mean, it's hard. For, I mean, I, I, I've tempted lower body to say if I was to pick a number, but again, it's like 10 kilo just because it's quite useful for other things as well. I think it's kind of a, just, but it's hard. Yeah, it yeah. depends on how, some people could do how heavy she feels the sevens are. Like, are the sevens, what are they? Are they easy? Are they difficult? You know, if, if sevens are easy for chest press, you may find that going up to, like, a set of tens might be just too much of a jump. So much. it's going to be a bit of a difficult one, this one. Um, I think she wants one set for lower so and one for upper. So, And I'd it seems like sevens five. are too easy. I'd but go if, fives for upper body because, like things mm -hmm. like lateral raises and stuff, you can't, you'll not be able to do with sevens. Um, I don't do anything. even fives heavy. For yeah, I, I don't even do. I don't do more than twelves for lateral raises. I think it's kind of pointless going any heavier because you're you end up using too much momentum. So, um, but lower body again, lower body can take a hell of a lot more because they're bigger muscle groups. It's a bigger muscle group, so um, probably f threes to fives for upper body, um. 10s to 12s for lower body potentially it's probably a, a, a rough guesstimate i would say and i think she's got lighter dumbbells reading the question she said she wants to invest in more because the heaviest is seven kilograms so i think she's ah, probably got right, right. i think she's probably got lighter ones so i think lateral raises maybe she's got lighter ones and maybe covered so cool yeah yeah, awesome. yeah i would say i would say 12.5 12 whatever yeah. that's kind of like a bit heavier for the lower body you, I mean, you'll yeah. quickly get stronger than that as well. That's, That's the thing. She'll need to go to 16 before she knows it. She's going to have a whole gym set up at home <laughs> before she knows it. There you go. Okay. But then again, like, there are other ways that you can, like, if you're like, right, I now don't have, like, I'm finding three sets of 10 too easy on this weight, but I don't have anything heavier. 
one, do it slower, you'll realize it's a lot harder. Or two, like you can increase the rep ranges. And if hypertrophy is your goal, you can achieve hypertrophy up to sort of like a 30 rep range, very similar to what you would achieve on, on lower reps. It's just easier to create that same volume with the lower rep range. So the only reason there is this quote unquote hypertrophy rep range is because it's the easiest rep range to create the most volume with. So sort of like eight to 12 reps, way easier to create volume doing that than doing 30 reps or doing two reps. So that's why we kind of stick within that that rep range. You're also less likely to get injured doing things like that as well, um, as opposed to lifting very heavy for lighter, for fewer reps. Could add in some pauses as well, so stop in them. Okay, what and I think you've answered this one recently. I feel like I maybe saw it in your stories, but what is the advantage of split workouts, push pull legs over three times full body recovery mainly? Um, push pull legs, especially if you're a newbie, you might find that you get more DOMs than somebody who's, who's trained for a lot longer. So in push-pull legs, you may find gives you enough recovery across the course of a week, whereas three full body, you're attacking the same muscle groups three times in a week, which might be a little bit too much. Um, but then again, it might also fit your timeline a bit better as well doing three full body. So there isn't an advantage over a split comparison to full body. It's it, it all depends on you. The advantage is about you, your your routine, how it fits in your week, um, how your recovery levels are. So it's advantage in the individual's case rather than across the board. It's probably the best way to look at it. I always think if somebody's likely to skip a workout, then it's safer to go full body. If somebody's somebody that you want to do push pull legs, but they're going to skip one. But... Yeah. That's the one you need to train. If you're going to skip a workout, that's the one that you need to prioritize because you're shitting out of it because you don't like it. It's like same for me. Like I hate, I genuinely hate training arms. It's the most boring fucking session of the week. It's extensions for yeah, any other man. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, it's just shit. Arms is bollocks. But I force myself to do it twice a week because it's something I don't like. It's something that's a necessary evil because I want better arms. So it gets done. So prioritise the ones you don't like. That's the secret. You don't mean put it into, because I was thinking sneak it into every workout so that they have to do it. <laughs> yeah, you could you could do that. But I, I it's it also depends on your time scale. Like I, I train six days a week, so I have the space to be able to train arms twice a week. Yeah. So, but if you're only training three times a week and you don't like training... Uh, you don't like squats, I would probably do squats as being your main body part so that you make sure that you work it. And it's quite amazing how much, if you don't like something, the more you do it, the more you actually start to sickly enjoy it for some strange reason. And the better you get at it. And I yeah. mean, point, like I had a discussion with someone the other day about Renegade Rose and they were like, is there anything else I can do? Because I just don't really like them. And I'm like, if you came to me and you said, I can't do them because I have an injury that prevents me from doing them, yes, I'd find an alternative. But if it's just that I don't like them because they're hard, you have to remember that it's hard things that get you results, right? The whole point in exercise is that you're pushing your body just slightly outside what it can manage so that it has to recover and adapt from that so that the next time you're putting it under that stress, it's better able to deal with it. Like that is essentially what fitness is. That's why how you're improving your fitness. So if you're doing things that are always easy to you, then you're not going to make any change. You're not going to grow from doing that. So it's, it, yeah, like you have to kind of embrace the fact that like hard things are what make you grow realistically in every area of life. Like if it's hard, most people are like, I'll say something and then someone will be like, oh, but that's a bit hard as if they're like, it's hard, so I don't want to do it. And I'm like, I've actually genuinely got to the point where I'm like hard work turns me on because if it's hard I know that the outcome will be worth it or I'll learn a shit ton on the way if it's easy I'm like I don't want it like what's the point anyone could have this right that's why like when we talk about like podcasts on AFM we're like yeah cool you're not getting congrats until you reach 20 episodes because loads of people start podcasts it's not hard to start podcasts what's hard is the longevity of it what's hard is like getting past 20 episodes and there's that stat around like, you know, of the people that start a podcast, only 1% actually get to 20 episodes. That's freaking mad, right? 
So all you have to do to be in the top 1% of all the people in the world that have ever started a podcast is to do 21 episodes. No one's saying you have to be good at them, but that's what that's how you get into the top 1% of people. And it's like that, that and it's like, that's what's hard about anything. It's how often you do it. Like none of the targets that we give you are hard mm. like for one day, none of them, right? If you're like, oh yeah, can you get a workout in, hit your steps? hit your protein target, hit your calories. Like for one day, that that's completely achievable for everyone. What's hard and what sets people apart is, can you do that consistently over time for long enough to get a result? And once you realize like, this was a huge turning point for me, like in life generally, that you actually don't need to be that skilled at anything. You just need to have the determination to do it longer than other people will. Like the best, if you could have one skill, someone could give me one skill it wouldn't be like I'm so good at x thing or very specific thing it would be like determination and like not giving up when things get hard not giving up like what's the word for that resilience that's it yeah that's what you the um difference between the stress response and the challenge response that's what I was seeing recently did you hear that that the people they said imagine it like um a lion chasing a gazelle and the gazelle is in a stress response because it's about to be eaten by the lion but the lion is challenged because the reward is getting the gazelle and actually in anything you can have quite a lot of people that are faced with the same stressor but they don't get the same reaction to the stress so they're not getting that kind of they might their blood pressure might raise but not in a detrimental way and in like a good challenging way so they can be busy at work but these people are like amazing I get the opportunity to show these people how good I am but the other people are like, I'm overwhelmed. I can't cope with this. And it is a mindset thing. It is coping that, taking that response as a challenge, not a stress. And yeah, yeah it's yeah. a good way of looking at it. It's so interesting. Like it's the framing of it as well. And now and again, like we all get stressed now and again. And I, I know that I perform at my best. Like, in fact, most people do perform at their best quite highly stressed, right? Like, like people don't run PBs in training. They run them at the Olympic Games, right, in the highest stress situation. But the framing of it's so important. And any time that I do get stressed about, like, work or things I've got going on, just, like, either catastrophizing things, like, as in, like, what is the worst that could happen here? Or because I'm self-employed, but actually this works for anything. Like, you could be like, do you know what? You don't actually have to go to work today. Yeah, you'd lose your job. There's obviously consequences to every single action that you make, but you don't have to go to work you could just stay at home and then you kind of realize but I don't want the negative outcomes of that and I do want the positives that that brings same with your diet you could be like I don't have to diet today and no point do you have to diet ever right no one's telling you that you have to do this you've come to us saying you've got a certain goal and we've given you the pathway to get there and the support to get there too but no one's telling you that you have to and as soon as you start putting that pressure on yourself it becomes unenjoyable right like as self-employed people like as soon as I'm like oh my god I have to do x y and z I'm like I start to resent this even though it's something that I freaking love if I wake up every day and I'm like I get to do this I get to come on this podcast I get to do all these things I get to like help loads of people every single day like that feels completely different the action is exactly the same and it's the same with how you approach your diet I think this came up it might not have been on the Q&A thread but it was definitely on the poll I did about like how people are getting on with like um the problem being like a mindset problem and and how they're like oh I'm already telling myself I'm dieting you need to tell yourself this is a choice like to take from like intuitive eating principles you have unconditional permission to eat whatever you want whenever you want but you also have to accept that just like you have if you want to give yourself unconditional permission to buy whatever you want whenever you want You'll also end up running out of money if you just spend a load of money on crap, right? Same with like, if you just end up eating tons of crap, like you'll go over your calorie allowance, then you probably won't feel very great. And you certainly won't reach the goals that you're aiming for, but that's not saying that you can't do it. And it, it like human psychology is weird, but as soon as you start telling yourself that you can't do something and that you have to do something else, your immediate response is, I don't wanna do those things. I feel restricted. Whereas when you tell yourself you get to do those things, it feels completely different. And I like, 
I struggle with that massively because I notice that as soon as this is such a weird trait, but as soon as I book something, I don't want to do it. And I mean like really weird little things. Like if I book a certain train, I'm like, I want to get on the train before. <laughs> it's so annoying because then I'm like, oh, should I change my train? I'm like, no, you booked that one. It's fine. Like there's no, absolutely no difference going up. I'm like, what if I could get there half an hour earlier? Like maybe that would suit better actually. And immediately it's like a weird like response to like telling myself I have to do something. I'm like, don't want to do it anymore. I, I do that, but I end up always rushing for the earlier train. Like I'm panicking to get there, but I'm like, why did I rush when I could have just gone and relaxed and gone later? But I think it's... Yeah, gone on the one that you actually booked on later. I know. Um, I love that we managed to get push-pull legs to full body into a... Well, you know, challenge. my brain works. So you It's are. great. I love it. We didn't have like Niagara Falls or anything like that yet. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. All right. Okay. Could you please talk me through pros and cons of protein shakes and bars? Since starting to track, I've realized my diet is low on protein and I'm finding it hard to hit the target. I've ordered some powder and bars to experiment with, but don't love the idea of them. Firstly, because I don't see myself as a protein shake kind of person, which is a self-limiting belief that I'm ignoring, but mostly because they seem so processed. What do you think? Are they just a good choice to top up until I figure out how to hit my protein target through normal food? or a healthy longer term solution? And there's been six replies to that. So I'm just also gonna look at what other people have said. Carry on. Okay, so I'll I'll start with, protein shakes aren't bad. They are processed, so are, so is milk. Like it needs to be processed in order to, to be safe for human consumption. Processing isn't inherently bad. Eating a lot of ultra processed foods, I would say is inherently bad. Some, fine, but the poison's really in the dose here. And with like something like whey protein, it's just a really easy way. Like you need to just think of it, it's powdered down milk. There's nothing like, I mean, like a lot of them will have more additives than others because they've got a ton of sweeteners in. You can get ones that are unflavored, which are disgusting, or like <laughs> more actually flavored. If you look for those ones, like you can find them now. So that's great if that's something you prefer. But I, I think it's more of like, if, also if you Google natural fallacy and just read the little Wikipedia definition of it, a lot of us fall for this, which is essentially the idea that anything that's natural is inherently better for you and anything that's not natural is inherently bad for you. Now, and I would say I'm more, now that's not true, right? But I would say I'm more on the side of the fence of like, I think within the fitness industry, we have pushed eating processed foods too much like just have a pop tart it fits within your calories like as if it's just calories that matter like it doesn't like these things do impact your health and eating more of them will have negative health outcomes I mean primarily because you will just eat more calories like there's a really good study that shows this very controlled for a nutrition study as well but they showed that when you give people ultra processed foods or like the standard western diet which is up to 90% ultra processed foods, which is shocking. Oh no, wait, was it 75%? But anyway, like the vast majority of your food intake ultra processed or the vast majority of your food intake whole food. And then you just let them eat ad lib. So like in natural, you know, eat as much as you want for each meal. Here are the food choices. The people with the ultra processed food diet ate on average 500 calories a day more. So even when you're not telling someone to diet or restrict, like you're just looking at food choices. Like an example of that, if we just looked at someone's diet who had a standard Western diet and said, don't worry about calories, don't worry about dieting, don't worry about restriction, but you're going to eat primarily whole foods now, their calorie intake would cut by about 500 calories. Like what you eat does matter and it matters on so many levels, but one of the big ones is it will actually impact how much you eat, both from a satiety standpoint. And then also if you think about cravings as well and the fact that your taste completely changes if you're always eating things that are packed full of sweeteners. Like if you're someone who eats a strawberry and you're like, I don't really taste of anything, you've probably eaten too much processed food. Like fruit is meant to taste good. Now it doesn't always in the UK, it's not always in, in season, but an in-season strawberry should taste freaking awesome unless you've eaten so much processed food that your taste has changed to the point that you need something really sweet to get that same sweet taste now you can change it back 
by stopping eating so much very highly processed food. But all these things come into play. Um, I don't know how we got to that from that question either. What was the question? I don't know. It was so the question was about protein powder, but I I like where you went with it. <laughs> Can I just say uh, though, somebody after us kind of pulling faces at unflavored protein, that one of the members has actually said that she buys the unflavored protein powder because she didn't like drinking it and she finds it really good to add to like pancake and porridge and things because it doesn't taste horrible. And that I could think I would say that that's probably a good thing to do if you're not just to up the protein in if you like having porridge, for example. Yeah, um, I think it's, it's yeah, it's one of those weird ones where people have this um kind of stick up their butt about protein powders and stuff like that. And as as Emma's already mentioned, majority of the food that you eat is processed in some way cheese massively processed doesn't mean that it's bad obviously it's got a hell of a lot of calories in it because it's made of mainly fat but and milk so but we've got to kind of have a look at these things and there's there's easier ways to there's there are easier ways to be able to get protein a higher protein intake from what you eat it's basically just eating more of the protein source that you've had in your meal so this is something that we go over regularly if you have a chicken breast have a chicken breast and a half or if you're measuring out, if you're having 100 grams of 150 grams, like that's the way that you bulk out your protein for your meals. It's really not that difficult. It takes a little bit of time to plan it and prep it to be able to understand what you're actually putting into your meal, but it's not really massively difficult. It's just an extra bit of the portion of said protein intake or protein, protein source. But protein shakes, protein bars, it's about the they're all basically the same. Some of them will obviously be, um, there are more sugar, but I think a lot of them are now starting to cut that back because they do realise that the, 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 the industry shifting towards being more, trying to be sweetened with stuff like stevia and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, but there are loads of different options that you can do on that one. But unflavoured protein, if you drink unflavoured protein, you will go have a psychopath test because that stuff is rancid. Yeah. It's horrible. The other thing I was going to say is I went with my protein bar. I'll have a protein bar, but I tend to have it at a time where perhaps before I would have been thinking, oh, I really like like a sweet treat, like a bar of chocolate or something. And to me, it hits that same spot. So I don't see it as a nutrient dense snack. I see it as a chocolate bar with a boost <laughs> with protein in it. And I kind of honestly would have it at that time, maybe in the day where I'm like, oh, actually, I really feel like I'd like something sweet. And I'll treat it like that. Not it's not a it's not something that I'm thinking this is hitting all my macros. I'm there thinking this is something extra that I would like to have because I like the taste of it. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. It, it, and I it, mean it is a chocolate bar at the end. It of is day. a chocolate bar with protein. Yeah. And I think if you're looking to like okay, which ones are the best? Because and like some of them are quite a lot of calories if you don't look at them properly. You're like, wow, I just ate a 500 calorie protein bar, which you don't need to. So I would try and look at like anything below sort of 220 ish calories and about 20 grams of protein is like a pretty good ratio for a protein bar. Yeah. Mm. That's yeah. funny because you know that Grenade are now one of the top selling chocolate bars in the UK. I do know that. Al told me. Yeah, that's behind hey. Mars bar. There you go. They give them Mars bar. Wow. They were they were bought by oh. a chocolate bar company, like one of the biggest in the UK. Yeah. So they're not they're not like grenade. Well, they I guess they still are grenade, but the company was bought over. Can I just touch on one more thing about protein powder just quickly? Because I know and I've spoken to someone today about this as well, that some people will find when they're drinking whey protein that their stomach gets it, they get a bit windy. Um, and the isolate does tend to be better for not producing so much gas. So if you are struggling with that and you're thinking, I can't have protein powder, it might just be that you're having the wrong protein powder for you. There's also, also on that, there's also so much different um, lactose-free stuff and vegan yeah. stuff and it, all manner of stuff that you can actually try and try and test now. Um, but yeah. You've got to work around the vegan. The windy time. <laughs> yeah, no windy time. Right. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of comments from members on that as well. If we do a full body workout, should we aim to rest either side of it? Or am I fine to do an upper body dumbbell workout, then a full body dumbbell the next day? Upper yeah. body dumbbell, then full body dumbbell. 
ideally you'd have a rest it depends how many days a week you're training if you're like oh, i'm doing five sessions a week you can't rest between each one but if you're doing three then i'd have a rest day in between spread them out if you can but if like you said if you're only having one or two rest days a week it also depends like there isn't a hard fast rule for this because it depends on your fitness levels and what you can recover from so some people will be able to do that like you see people doing two crossfit sessions a, a day because they're elite athletes and they've worked up to that now I could never recover from that now I could train myself up to the point that I could recover from that not interested in doing that anymore but like the point is some people won't be able to recover from three workouts a week or maybe three they can but like you know like anything more than that would be like you can't recover from that and remember that there's no point doing more than what you can recover from because the whole point in recovery is that you adapt during that time so you know there's no point me doing eight workouts a week so I wouldn't recover from them but there is a point me doing five because I can recover and adapt from those and that just takes like a little bit of time so if you're like oh I'm struggling to recover from this maybe you start with three workouts and then after a couple of weeks you add on a fourth workout somebody did actually ask me in the check-in today about why you need to recover like why do you need to because you know obviously like we talk about your muscles um needing to adapt and repair but they were saying kind of why um in the and I thought it might be actually they kind of asked it in the podcast box but I thought it might be worth just talking about kind of what happens to your muscles when you're working out that there's a little micro tears and then that's the whole point of it you want the micro tears and then you want those muscles to repair stronger and bigger and and that's the process and if you don't give those muscles time to repair then potentially you're not giving them time to build yeah it's such a great question as well like I love these questions that people like if so like some people might be like well of course you need to recover but some people actually can't answer why like because recovery is important it's like you're not you're not answering the question you're just repeating a statement which doesn't actually answer the question but exactly that like actually you are breaking down your muscle during a workout you build your muscle outside of the gym not inside the gym you just create the stimulus inside the gym and then it's the recovery that allows you to build that muscle and the same is true for endurance adaptations as well like you're creating this stress on your body then your body needs time to recover from that stress and adapt to that stress and make the physiological changes so that next time it's placed under that same stress, it can deal with it better. And that's how you get fitter. So recovery is just as important, if not more important than exercise. Well, I mean, like you have to have both together, but yeah. I think a lot of people would know that they need to recover, but perhaps would think it was down to their energy levels more than their muscle recovery, you know? And I think that's something that, more isn't always better. So, um, I noticed I don't have a. If I don't have a protein shake in a day, I'm a little bit under my hundred gram target, ninety to ninety eight grams, but I stay within my calories. When I do have a protein shake, then I hit my protein target, but I have to make changes to my meals for the day so I don't go over my calories. But mostly, I'm over a little bit. What would be the right approach, please? I think Andy's kind of covered this probably. Yeah, you can I, I change if you w- don't want a protein shake you just need to amend your your meal your protein source at meals and um, but 90 to 98 grams you're you're within ballpark so if you're at 98 grams you're not really i wouldn't worry about getting the extra two grams, two grams of protein it's within like the margin of error anyway you might actually be hitting 100 grams anyway and it's pretty good isn't it yeah, and yeah. i will say is that like you're probably going to find it harder to hit protein within calories from whole foods if you were gonna because like whey protein is literally just protein like you're not going to get a much leaner protein source if you want to get in you know 20 grams of protein you can do that for about 100 calories drinking whey protein very hard to get that from anything else um so it is quite a good way to bump up your protein I struggle massively with water retention. It appears to be a relatively new thing, and I have made a link to the progesterone part of the HRT in my cycle. But the question is, is there anything I can do to reduce the water retention? Is it connected to salt intake, creatine, or anything else? Thank you. It's interesting she mentions progesterone because it's normally high estrogen and low progesterone that would cause more water retention from what I've read. So it's not like high progesterone, it would be lower progesterone and higher estrogen. Estrogen is normally the one 
that causes water retention, I believe. Yeah, um, interesting. Although I have seen that for some people, the increase in progesterone um, causes more like uh, constipation or slower yeah, gastro. So maybe bloating. Yeah, like when you say water retention, it might just be like bloating or feeling like kind of like bunged up is a weird way to put it, but whatever. It could be that. And then the other thing is your hormones will be fluctuating so much, you probably don't know exactly what's high at what point. Nor do you don't nor does it really matter. But I wouldn't um there's nothing that you could or should do about water retention. No. I mean she's here, so she's moving. You know, she's moving her body, she's getting her steps. It's not, she's not sitting down all day. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, same with like PMS, like, oh, so what can I do to avoid the water retention at this time of the month? And it's like, nothing. Nothing is meant to happen. It's natural, it's normal. You know, you don't want to be like, oh, should I dehydrate myself to avoid water retention? Like, no, that's the just... point. It's probably there for a reason, right? Like creatine, again, isn't water retention. It's storing creatine in your muscle but you wouldn't want to avoid that either and when people are like oh this form of creatine doesn't cause water retention it's like saying this form of creatine doesn't work because it's not being stored like there's no point in it it's same with like carbohydrate stores if you were like oh this supplement allows you to store carbohydrate in your muscle without retaining water like no it doesn't you need you need water to store glycogen in your muscle so if it, if it's not retaining water, then it's not working, right? So you probably don't want to buy that supplement. But a lot of these things kind of play on that insecurity of like water retention. Um, but you certainly don't want to be like trying to dehydrate yourself or avoid it in any way. I think it goes to scale weight. I think that's the reason people get upset about water retention. But you can, if you know it's water retention, then you know your scales are going to be a bit more. So it's all good. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to work on my mindset around food and could use your advice because I feel confident I can achieve the goals in the short term, but I worry I will resort back to old habits after a few months. My issue is that I really love food and even consider cooking and trying out new restaurants as part of my personality slash hobbies. I keep having memories of my study abroad in Italy many years ago and how so many people are so much thinner than what I'm used to seeing in America, but they're all absolutely eating pasta almost every day. On reflection during writing this post, I think I'm realising that I need to practice incorporating foods I like, but I shy away from because of moderation. And perhaps it takes away some of the desire for the foods that I want, the food once I have it. Thanks for your help. So I think she's saying, should she be shying away from certain foods or just having um, a bit of everything? Like, I think from what she's saying, she felt she couldn't have pasta, but then she's seeing people. Yeah. And the thing is, what we have to remember in Italy... I've been to Italy a couple of times and generally they fast in Italy. They have a fag and a coffee first thing in the morning. They have a really light lunch and then they have a real heavy pasta ridden dinner. So that's probably where all their calories coming for the day is in dinner because it's such a social meal. It's families, it's friends, everybody's there at the same time. But they don't do that three times a day. It's once a day with a heavy dose of calories coming in from one meal. So actually it's probably fine that they're basically backloading their calories in a day, which is why they're all skinny, and also the fact that carbohydrate backloading, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's back to it's back to DH kefir and the carb backloading. Yeah, carb I ever did. Um, yeah, and I completely agree. I think it's a really interesting point because now and again we'll get this question of like, how can one of my friends always eat pizza and blah 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 and never put on weight, and I'm always worried about blah blah blah, and I'm always struggling with my weight, and it always comes back to energy balance, always. So as much as you might think that friend is always eating blah, if you were to be very critical of what they do, it might also be that that friend walks a lot and actually they do eat pizza when they're with you, but outside of that, they don't really snack on anything and they often skip breakfast and they don't overeat after skipping breakfast. And actually they do always order like the pizza, but they don't finish it because they haven't been massively restricting it. And this is another point. Often when you hear people say, oh, I don't eat pasta because every time I do, I end up just putting on a load of weight or I, don't, I avoid pizza because when I do, I end up putting on a load of weight. It's usually because you've restricted it. So then when you do eat it, you're like, oh my God, pasta. And you eat tons of it. 
or you're like oh my god pizza and you eat the whole pizza instead of just thinking yeah I have this a couple of times a week so I'll happily have half a portion or I'll happily have two slices of pizza and then move on that tends to be the problem that's also where te- people tend to self-diagnose with stuff like gluten intolerance. Oh my God, I'm gluten intolerant. I eat a whole pizza. I'm, I'm really bloated and my stomach's so full. No, you eat a whole fucking pizza. 12 slices of pizza to yourself. It's got fuck all to do with the gluten. It's got everything to do with the fact that your stomach's going, what the shit's happening here? I can't handle this amount of pizza. You may as well just eat the box as well to fill me up. So, Well, yeah. the, the other thing that happens there is Actually, what's quite interesting is how you digest food is influenced by what you normally eat. So even the enzymes to break down certain foods. So if you, for example, went really low carb, you might have made yourself to an extent, which is changeable before anyone's like, oh my God, I'm carb intolerant. But technically you probably will be less tolerant to carbs because you don't have the same level of the enzymes that would normally break down carbs because you're not ingesting them. Now, if you just slowly reintroduce them, you'd be absolutely fine. But what often happens, as Andy said, is you completely cut them out and then you bring them back in and you're like, God, why is my body so shocked by this? It's like, because you've not given your body that for months and months and months. And now suddenly you're eating loads of it. Like, of course, anyone's body would be like, what the hell is going on here? So there's that element too. This is interesting because I was doing the research around carbohydrate, um, sorry, uh, glucose monitors, people on low carb diets actually have often a poorer response to certain foods because they're not used to them as opposed to them being like intolerant, right? But it kind of plays into the narrative of, yeah, no, I avoid carbs because I get this massive glucose spike. And then they look at their data and their glucose monitor and they're like, look, see, I do. And it's like, yeah, part of the reason that you do is because you're avoiding carbs so much. So it's just interesting to like note these little things that one of the reasons that you might struggle with eating pasta is the over restriction and then overindulgence, but also the fact that your body's no longer used to it. So you have to get it more used to it. Kind of to the point that Ruth was saying about like some people when they increase protein, find it doesn't really suit them and they get very windy or they just get like digestive stress. And that's because often you've been going from having 40 grams a day to 100 and maybe you need to just be like, let's go from 40 to 60 grams and then to 80 grams. And then let's see if we can hit 100 just because of what your body's used to. The same thing with this. On your own, you go. No, I was just going to say it's a real shame. Everything you're saying is people that are being made to believe that their diet needs to be more complicated than it actually needs to be. All, yeah. all of this, isn't it? It actually is quite simple that you, you know, it doesn't need to be as complicated. You don't need to wear glucose monitors and you don't need to worry about cutting out food groups. It's kind of a shame. You, you look at stuff like people competing. They go through a five, six month spell of competing to get to step on stage, ultra, in good nick. And they're obviously going to be on pretty low calories. And the first thing they do is they bounce back up and have a cheat meal on the day of their show after they've competed and then wonder why they have digestive stress because their stomach has not managed to handle that amount of calories for six months. So what are you expecting? It's like going and going to your car, realizing that my car's filled up at 60 quid and then try to jam 80 quids worth of pe- petrol in it. It's going to overspill and it's going to cause a, it's going to cause an issue. So this whole thing about, you know, being able to understand and it's it's playing the smart game and being caught like having a bit of common sense about food and all these kind of things and that's kind of what we hopefully give people a way to to work with is a little bit more education in the actual hows and whys rather than oh there's some new fad that's out there that i need to to tie myself to and that's going to be how i describe myself for the i'm i i do this i do a glucose diet fucking big deal happy days you know if you just came back and did some work some common sense with your with with some small manipulations with your food you probably find that you get much better results and you don't feel anywhere near as restricted yeah yeah and i think if there's one thing that we hope that people take away from this maybe not so much our clients who actually get to work with us but more anyone that's listening is like be a little bit more skeptical like ask these questions like even the one about recovery people might think oh what a weird que-, like you know but actually delve into that like if your coach can't explain to you why you actually need recovery or if you're like 
so what do you think about low carb diets and they're like stupid you don't need to do them but you're like well what like why why do people say that this is a benefit then and they're just like yeah but you don't need to cut carbs like you don't understand this well enough to explain it to me like make sure that your coach can actually explain these things and make Mm -hmm. sure that you understand them as well because your buy-in is so much higher if you know why you're doing something and I would say like I can't remember where this line came from but the more like outlandish the claim like if someone's like you need to start tracking your glucose make sure you're like why why do I need to do that prove it to me why has everyone else been able to lose weight for the last however many years we've been alive as a human species but now we need to track glucose like why is that what's going on what's different what's different now than it has been what about all my friends who don't track glucose and seem to be fine what about those people like just be more inquisitive with it as opposed to just accepting things because what's hard now is there are legitimate doctors telling you to do this stuff so you're like who do I listen to and often I put myself in other shoes and I'm like well if someone told me that I don't know I needed certain insurance for my house or this is how you do a survey of a house or whatever I'd be like all right well I know nothing about that so obviously I need that and you because you don't know how to question and like when we've been in fitness for so long that we're like obviously that's a silly thing to do but it's not really obvious unless it's your area of expertise so make sure that you question these things it's a lot of scare scare tactics yeah like how to freak if you freak the shit out of somebody by telling them that there is a burglar that's in your neighborhood and then the next day you turn around and that your pal goes around and sells them a set of cameras set of um, outside lights of course they're going to take it because you've just freaked the shit out of somebody. Like these things, this is this is the issue that we have is we have a we have an un like unregulated industry, and also like some of these people really should know better. Like doctors trying to sit like doc, the doctors are just doing the same thing. They all they're there is for is the cash. It's got fuck all to do anything else. They if you were to call them on it, they'd give you some mumbo jumbo that you wouldn't understand. If they can sell tell you in layman's terms maybe listen to them but like it's yes and this is what's annoying it's like 99 times out of 100 on most topics i'd be like listen to a doctor over me 100 percent. anything medical i don't know anything compared to nutrition no like they don't get taught much about nutrition at all they're not qualified to be prescribing things there's not an understanding there i mean that and that isn't all doctors some doctors do specialize in nutrition obviously but primarily like when you've got like geneticists now saying this is how you should diet this is how you should monitor your glucose this is how you should adapt your whole diet around these findings like there is just no support of evidence to say that you need to do that and when you work with real people and this is what annoys me I'm like you've never worked with an actual person and like Ruth you'll get this because they're they're telling like generically sort of telling menopausal women that they should be fasting and I'm like for some women, that's the worst thing you can possibly do. A lot of them already struggle with binge eating disorder or like binge eating tendencies at least. And you're like, oh, what? Do you know what the literally the worst thing you can possibly do if you find that you're binge eating is to now fast? Like it's such an irresponsible message to be giving out as a doctor that that just like, like pisses yeah. me off. You just realize like you've never worked with like that across the board though like even in even in our industry there's a part of our industry which i was very interested in getting into when i first um started started doing this and they basically go on the people that can fill out forms the best it's got nothing to do with coaching like and you see a lot of this stuff coming out and what are you talking about strength and conditioning strength and conditioning is full of people that are good at dotting i's and crossing t's but couldn't literally can't speak to somebody like you got a lot there are some fantastic strength and conditioning coaches don't get me wrong but there are a mass majority of them that are fucking horseshit that can't that they they can they can they they know how to to write write um, a thesis but they can't deliver anything to to a client so yeah but this is say this is slightly different because i think a lot of snc coaches get away with this because athletes are so motivated yeah, well, 100%. It's not, you're not now working with behavior change. You're working with a highly motivated individual. All you need to do is 
here's your Excel spreadsheet of all the exact lifts you need to make with the percentages here. They're just going to do it. Because I know I was the same when I was an athlete. I was like, yeah. what, you know, it is gossipal what your, your coach you, said. You know, you know Gil, don't you? You know Gil. Yeah, I worked with him. Gil is like, he is my favourite person and I think he's amazing. He's like this tiny wee, what, must be in his 70s now? When I was working with him, he was old, right? He'd had two knee replacements and now and again, like you'd you'd turn around to do something, you'd turn back and he'd just be like doing a snatch or something and I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you still doing this stuff? I did I did a course with him, right? And he was like, we were, he was like, Right, everybody needs to do a handstand. So like doing handstands and just wiping each other out. And he must have been in his late mid-six. I think he must have been 65 at the time. And he basically just went down one-handed, pirouetted in the air with his feet and just walked up to the wall on his hands. I'm just like, this guy is unbelievable. But I remember having an argument, well, not an argument. I had a chat with him and he was like, he goes, oh, your fucking job is easy. All you need to do is deal with like overweight individuals. And I was like, mate, I goes, you've got to deal with highly fucking, highly motivated athletes. I've got to try and get somebody off their sofa to get into the gym to actually come and train. He goes, you've got a fucking easy job. And he was like, actually, when you put it like that, you, you might have a point. I was like, yes, I do have a fucking point. <laughs> so, uh, I don't think I've a- ever heard him say, you're right. Like oh, I took him to town on that one because he was like, oh, you're just a fucking gym monkey. And I was like, oh, happy days. Let's deal with this one then. Great. Brilliant. So, and at the end of the course, he was like, ah, you know what? You're not bad. For, you're not bad for a personal trainer. I was like, there you go, mate. You but go. He's, a, he's a real good guy. Real, real switched on guy. But yeah, it's, the, it's the, having, the, it's having the knowledge is great, but it's how you deliver it that is so important. So yeah. you can pass it on to others, isn't it? And yes. I've not known a GP yet to be able to deliver information. Well, I mean, and to be fair to GPs, there are some amazing GPs. And also you get 10 minutes, whereas we it's get... It's not the remit. Yeah, yeah. We get no. much stuff. So I think that it's a completely different thing. What I Absolutely. will say is that the EIQ Live starts in two minutes. So... Okay. We've got one more question, which I think I can answer really quickly. No? Go. No. Go. Okay, it says about um, tracking meat on my fitness pal. Do you put the raw weight in or the cooked weight? You can look. It will say raw chicken breast or cooked chicken breast. Done. Well done. Well done. Okay. All right. Enjoyed this episode. Then (laughs) pass it on to a friend and rate and review the podcast. We'd love it if you tagged us in it and showed us that you enjoyed it on social media. And if you're interested in coaching, head over to esufitness.co.uk. And that's all. Have lovely days. Bye. Bye-bye.